0: Welcome to the podcast of Fairmount Presbyterian Church in Cleveland Heights, Ohio, where we feature our worship sermons. Listen again to past sermons from home, when you are traveling, or wherever you are. Listen in if you need a moment of reflection, inspiration, and love. Thank you, Reverend Colma. Isn't it fun to hear Bible stories this way? Yeah, biblical storytelling is a pretty amazing way of experiencing these age-old stories. They come to life in a new way. Well, young disciples, I am so glad that you are here up with me this morning. Will you all stay with me during my sermon? Can I get a yes? Okay, awesome. Because later on, I'm going to need you to help me with something with this table, okay? But that's later on in my sermon. So before then, I have something else for you to do. Pastor Lindsay is going to pass out some crayons and pieces of paper. And if you need a clipboard, too, to have a surface to write on, let Pastor Lindsay know, and she can hand one to you. And I'm going to ask that you draw a picture for us. Can you do that? Okay. Now, he, but we're going to ask you to draw a, a specific picture. I'm going to give you a prompt, and I want you to draw a picture in response to this, this invitation that I'm giving you, okay? Are we ready? Are we listening with big ears? Hearts open? Okay. So here's what I want you to draw. If God invited you to dinner, if God invited you to dinner, who would be there? What kind of food would be served? What would the table look like? Where would you be? If God invited you to dinner, what would it look like? Take your time as you're drawing. You're going to have plenty of time. And when you're done, when you're done with your drawing, hand it to Pastor Lindsay, and she's going to put it up for everyone to be able to admire, okay, okay? And you can also make more than one. So if you've got all sorts of ideas about maybe where this dinner would happen and what it would look like and you need to draw three pictures, that is A-okay. Hand them to Pastor Lindsay and she'll give you more paper to continue drawing through my sermon, okay? And then I will let you know when I need the help with this table. Sound good? Yes. Okay. Wonderful. I love having you here up with me. Can I give my sermon now? Yes. Cool? Okay, wonderful. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O God. Amen. Raise your hand if you have ever heard of the Enneagram. Oh, a lot of people. Yes. Okay, wonderful. Ryan, what's your number? He's a one. Do you know your number? (laughs) Call out your number. I want to hear your numbers. What are your Enneagram numbers? Okay, so for those who have never heard of the Enneagram, it's a system that divides people into nine personality types. So those who said they're a number 80, we know you haven't heard of the Enneagram. (laughs) Uh, each type has its own motivations and fears and behaviors. It's a wisdom tool for self-discovery often used by Christians that can help people discover their strengths and their, wit- their weaknesses. Pastor Lindsay and I are the number six type, which has a couple of popular names. The first is the loyalist. And then they're also called the skeptic, two names that don't necessarily always go hand in hand. The loyalist and the skeptic. Sixes are fun and energetic, dependable and honest. They're committed, engaging and responsible. How lucky is Pastor Ryan to have us on staff? Celebrity sixes are some pretty cool people, if you do ask me. We've got Malcolm X, Princess Diana, Tom Hanks, and even Frodo Baggins from Lord of the Rings. I know we have at least one Lord of the Rings fan in here. Yes. And you know who else were type sixes? Most likely, Harry Potter and Ron Weasley. Oh yeah, we have some big Harry Potter fans in the Young Disciples group. But you know what? No Enneagram type is perfect. No, they all have their struggles. So sixes can be anxious and suspicious, sometimes to a fault. The thing that sixes deal with and struggle with is fear. Even if they seem courageous on the outside, on the inside they are often afraid. They're known to need more external validation, support, and reassurance from others. Alert and vigilant sixes are always thinking several steps ahead to prepare for the worst case scenario, something that often helps me avoid catastrophes in youth ministry. It does help, but it can also hold us back. The story that we just heard from Reverend Colma is a popular gospel story. What is it called? Doubting Doubting Thomas. That was a very sleepy response. Doubting Doubting Thomas. Thank you, thank you. It's a a well-known story, and this story is often told as a cautionary tale about the dangers of doubt. But as an avid skeptic and doubter myself, I take issue... With the idea that doubt is a problem. Anne Lamott quotes um, Christian philosopher Paul Tillich in saying, The opposite of faith is not doubt, it's certainty. The opposite of faith is not doubt, it's certainty. Faith requires a willingness to embrace the mystery, to acknowledge that there are limits to our understanding. Speaking as a six, I believe that doubt is necessary. It's a necessary part of faith. I'm not sure that I would really have a choice in the matter, to be honest. Doubting is just something that comes naturally to me. And you know what? I think that doubt means that we're thinking critically enough to take our faith seriously. And that's important. So this probably won't surprise you. I think Thomas was a six. (laughs) Organized and well-liked, a team player, a clear communicator who was detail-oriented and super loyal to his friends. I think his love for Jesus was strong. But when his friends found him in the wake of Christ's brutal death, he couldn't take it anymore. He had nothing left in him to believe, and he was scared. Let's remember that the other 11 apostles didn't believe Mary Magdalene, who is surprised they did not believe a woman when she was like, I have seen the Lord. And they were like, You're crazy. They didn't believe her. They needed to see for themselves. But eyewitnesses account from 11 of his friends was not enough for Thomas to believe. He had just been through too much. That's what happens when we're deep in grief, I think. We need all of our loved ones to show up and help us work through it. And we may feel like we even need a miracle, like Jesus showing up in the flesh to heal our grief and release our fears. When Thomas wants proof, before he can even believe that Jesus is truly alive, Jesus doesn't abandon or shame him. He appears to Thomas and shows him his wounds. Some Christians think that this is Jesus shaming Thomas in his doubt, but I don't hear it that way, do you? In hearing Reverend Colma share his story, or share the story, Does it sound like Jesus is shaming him? Can I get like some head nods in response? Thank you, thank you. Good to know you're still here with me. I think Jesus was saying this to Thomas. I know you've been scared. I know the world can be a terrible and terrifying place. And I know that you've been working tirelessly to figure out how you're going to move on since my death. But friend, take your finger and examine my wounds. Take your hand and put it on my side. I know it's hard, but trust in me. Believe in me. I am here. I don't think Jesus is offended by Thomas' stubbornness and skepticism. I think he understands it to be perfectly human. Jesus, as fully human and fully divine, gives us a glimpse into how God Receives our doubt. And in this story, we encounter a God who is willing to show up and reveal his scars to reassure his weary friend. He does this likely in the very same upper room where Jesus washed their feet and where they had the Last Supper, which is something that Reverend Colma already pointed us to. Thomas's friends gather around him and give him the external reassurance that he, like a True six, has sorely needed. The story isn't over. Jesus is truly alive. I came on staff when the church building was still closed due to the pandemic. In the two years I have been at Fairmount, I have heard some questions and some statements of fear and doubt about the future of this faith community. What is church going to be like after COVID? Are people going to even come back after being away for so long? Our whole staff was so different just five years ago. We have been through so much change. If Chris Fader leaves, how will we keep our children's ministry going? Can my senior pastor really be 35, wear sneakers, and have that edgy haircut? It's okay to laugh. (laughs) Over the past nine months, I have been hearing very different questions. I'm not hearing these types of questions and statements anymore. I've heard how it feels like Fairmount is getting back to its old self and also shaping into something new. Members and friends have returned. we welcomed new faces and new members. There's an energy of hope. You heard all of the good things that we shared during the celebrating the fruits of our presence liturgy earlier in this service. We have been learning new ways of being the church together. Our table is showing early signs of needing additional leaves. As we reflect on our first full year with Ryan and Lindsay at the helm, working together to lead our community into deeper presence, we need to ask some important questions now. Who is at our table now? And how are we loving one another well? A harder question. Who might not feel welcome at our table? And how can we, as a community, make our table more open, welcoming, and accessible? Even with our fear and with our doubts, it is time for us to vision for how we go forward. How will we build a bigger table? How will we open to the Spirit's unbelievable work in our community? Okay, so at this time, I'm going to need some help from our young disciples. You can come back to your coloring sheets if you would like to, but right now I need your help with something. Pastor Lindsay and Pastor Ryan are going to move the table here into the center. Wait, it roll? It does, it rolls. <laughs> okay, so young disciples, you are going to set the table. just like at home, except for it doesn't need to be perfect. It doesn't need to look a certain way. All that matters is that you are setting the table, God's table, and being present to one another and sharing in God's love. Do you think you can do that? Okay, wonderful. When the table is set, you can go back to coloring your pictures if you would like. Or you can go back and sit with whomever you came here with, okay? And have you set the table. Okay, I'm going to continue my sermon, so I do ask that you set the table very quietly, okay? Okay, thank you. In examining the Doubting Thomas story author and historian Diana Butler Bass similarly believed it isn't really about doubt at all. In her reflection, she considers the bigger Easter story that doubting Thomas is a part of. She considers the table that Jesus and Thomas and the disciples are gathered around when Thomas has his his moment of realization. And she wonders if the disciples, I'm sorry, and she wonders if Christians have put too much focus on the symbols of the cross and the empty tomb. Instead, Diana points out, the resurrection story begins at the table with a Christ surrounded by his friends. And the Easter story concludes at the table with the risen Christ surrounded by his friends. She invites her listeners to consider if the symbol of the Christian faith should maybe not be the cross, a tool of violence and oppression and suffering, but instead the table, a tool of connection and nourishment. When I was talking to Pastor Ryan about this, he said, but I have a cross tattoo. And I was like, it's not too late to turn it into a table. (laughs) Christ spent most of his ministry feeding and eating with people, sitting with them and gathering together, making sure that everybody had what they needed We've been learning about who we are and who we hope to become by practicing presence this year. In Thomas' story and throughout the Gospels, Christ embodies presence. That's why this is not just a story about doubt. It's a story about the disciples coming together and how the risen Jesus shows up and is present to them, especially Tom. When Jesus does this, Thomas sees God fully revealed in him through Jesus' gracious offer of himself. He gives Thomas what he needs for faith, as he has done so many times in the gospel. When we are present to one another, we embody Christ. No matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey, with whatever fears or burdens you may be carrying, I hope you see yourself in Thomas, unafraid to question and to ask God to come forward. This story reassures us that the divine is ready to show up and give you what you need. Christ invites us through the story of Thomas to have hope in what we cannot see, to believe in what we frankly cannot prove, that he is with us. Even those of us who are skeptical, Jesus surrounded himself with flawed, squishy, imperfect humans like me and like you, prone to qualities like anxiety and pride and ego, a quick temper, greed, or arrogance. But he loved them still. He revealed himself to them still. He saw the spirit at work in each of them still. He washed their feet and broke bread with them. He saw people for more than their flaws and more than their fears He invited them around the table into the mystery and the freedom of God's most unbelievable love. Everyone, say it with me, everyone, everyone everyone Everyone. is invited invited to Christ's table. When we gather around the table with Jesus, we bring our whole selves, doubts and all. And we are met by a God who holds his hands out to us and loves us unconditionally. Alleluia. Amen. We thank you for listening to a worship episode from Fairmount Presbyterian Church. Revisit this podcast site weekly for new worship episodes. Have a beautiful and blessed day.